0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at Alumni Hall. Make sure, guys, this July 4th, stop in at Alumni Hall, whether it's in-store, inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City, or online at alumnihall.com if you're not local here to the Athens area, and celebrate the 4th of July in style with some of the best new Georgia gear out there It's a no-brainer, guys. Make sure to visit Alumni Hall because that is where the Bulldog shop. But all right, guys. I am your host, Tyler. And one of the more popular topics that has been filling up my DMs over the past month or so is our annual Summer Scouting the Enemy series. I've gotten questions from a lot of you guys asking me like, hey, man, are you doing it again this year? When is it kicking off? When's it starting? Well, how about we kick it off today? Y'all good with that? You've waited long enough. I know you've been very patient. And I really appreciate that. The way that we try to do this every year is we try to wait until we're close enough to the season where we can do like one of these scouting the Navy episodes every week, leading all the way up to week zero. So that's really why we've waited and kind of put it off for a couple of months. And also it helps to give me a chance to go back and like do a lot of off season film study. I go watch all of these teams. I watch as many of their games as I possibly can. I have YouTube TV, so those of you who have YouTube TV, you know what I'm talking about. If you know, you know. You have unlimited DVR, which is really why I still have YouTube TV. So what I am able to do is quite literally just set it to record every single college football game that has played, and that's exactly what I do. And it holds them for nine months. And once college basketball season ends, I immediately start going back and watching tape of all of these teams. I watch just about every single game that these teams have played, at least the power five opponents that they play. I don't waste time watching them play Charleston Southern and teams like that. Like, who cares? I don't care about baby seals. But putting this series off until July does give me time to really dive in and watch as much of that tape as I possibly can in order to make sure that I'm giving you guys as clear of a picture, as detailed of a look into these teams as I possibly can. If there's one thing that drives me insane about like mainstream college football talk coming from all those mainstream outlets is that the vast majority of them have absolutely no clue what they're talking about, and it's because, I've I've come to the realization it's because they don't actually watch games. Like, that is, that is my theory, that these guys don't actually watch games. I think they watch, like, a game or two a weekend, or like, have their eyes on a game or two here and there, watch a couple plays here, a couple plays there, and they call that watching a game, but really, guys, like, when it comes down to it, I am firmly convinced that most of them just simply do not watch games, because how else can you explain the insanely shallow and nonsensical college football talk we get from all these mainstream outlets? It's either that or they just don't understand football. They just fundamentally do not understand the sport. And I don't want to believe that's the case. A lot of them, they've played football, right? So they should understand the sport. You would think so, right? So I've just like, I've come to the conclusion, like my theory is that they just don't watch games. And that drives me insane because that makes any analysis that you throw out there completely and utterly irrelevant. And to be quite honest, a waste of my time and insulting to my intelligence. So I'm the kind of guy, if that's something that bothers me, I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure that I do not do that to you. Which going back to why we started this podcast all those years ago, that was really the impetus behind it is Curtis and I just got so sick and tired of all the worthless drivel that was just purely designed for the most casual fan. We just got tired of it. So we said, hey, like, we know there's more people like us out there, so let's do a podcast for those people, for the diehards. And that's why we do it, and that's why I take the time to spend literally months going back, pouring over the tape from all these teams that we're going to play to give you guys that comprehensive look at each team on our schedule. So I'm excited about this. I hope that you are too. A little pre-4th of July gift from me to you. Like what better way, guys? What better way to honor America than by doing the most American thing possible, talking some actual real football. So I'm pumped about it. Let's get right to it. Now, for those of you who are maybe new to the show, and are not familiar with the Scout and the Enemy series and what exactly it is. This is something that we do every single year. We've done this every year. We've done the podcast. We've been running this pod since 2015, man, which is wild, man. That's that's wild to think about. So I think that makes this our ninth edition of the Scout and the Enemy series. Damn, damn, man, that, that's crazy to believe. But here we are, nine years later, almost a decade. What we'll to do? Some special next season for this. But anyway, for those of you who are new to the show and haven't been a part of this before. The goal of these Scouting the Enemy episodes is to give you the most in-depth preview of each Power 5 team on our schedule. We're not doing Tennessee, Martin, or Ball State, or UAB. Nobody cares about those games. We are just sticking to the games that you actually really care about, which of course are the Power 5 games. And there are deep dives, and then there are these Scouting the Enemy episodes. If you aren't about real hardcore football talk, then this episode, this series probably isn't for you. If you want more of that quick surface level take on a team, there are plenty of other outlets out there that will give you exactly what you're looking for. And that's cool. That's totally cool. If that's what you're looking for, great. You do you. But for you real diehard fans, these episodes, this series is for you. This is the kind of college football content that I would want to listen to. And that's why I produce. That's why we do this podcast. So if you're a diehard fan like I am, I have a feeling you will enjoy these episodes. At least that's the goal but let's go ahead and get into this thing, man. Enough of me blabbing here. Let's go ahead and dive into this South Carolina Gamecocks football team heading into the 2023 football season. And I want to start with a big picture look at the Gamecocks here. And it's been really interesting kind of paying attention to the national narrative surrounding this South Carolina team coming into 2023. Because if you really watched Carolina last year, for the vast majority of the year, they were an average to slightly below average football team. But let's say if you were on some like remote island for the past year, you missed the entire 2022 season, you were completely off the radar, had no interaction with the outside world, no TV, no cell phone, no internet, nothing, completely isolated. And then you came back home, let's say, I don't know, March right around the time spring practice is starting to kick up. And you start listening to the national conversation around all these different teams and what the narratives are for each of them coming into the next season. And as you start listening to all this talk, you start consuming it, and you start to hear people talk about South Carolina, the impression you would come away with going into 2023 is like, oh, this, this team is good. Like, are they a contender? Because pretty much all that you would hear... Is people talking about how they ended the 2022 season, which was in spectacular fashion, at least the regular season. I'm not here to dispute that. They finished very strongly, two top 10 wins. Tennessee and Clemson to end the regular season knocked both of those teams out of college playoff contention I firmly believe if Tennessee had not lost in Columbia that they would have gotten in the college playoff over Ohio State I absolutely believe I know for a fact that if Clemson had not lost to Carolina that they would have gotten in as the four seed in the college playoff ahead of Ohio State because they would have been a one loss conference champion and Carolina to their credit knocked both those teams out those are two huge wins for sure You can't take that away from them. They won those games on the field. Tip of the cap. But if you were that person that flew back to Georgia from whatever remote island you're on, completely isolated from the rest of the world, what you probably wouldn't get from all the national conversation around South Carolina right now is that they pretty much sucked the rest of the season. That's also true. It is true that they beat Tennessee. They beat Clemson. Two top 10 wins. That's very true. But it's also true that for the rest of the season, the other 11 games in the 2022 season, they were the personification of mediocrity, if that, at best, honestly. But the purpose of these episodes is to try to project forward for you guys. What are these teams going to be in 2023? When we play them, when we we take the field against South Carolina in mid-September, what type of team are we going to be playing? Who are we going to be facing? What do we need to be ready for? That's what we're focusing on here. So when you're trying to project forward to next season, you can take the way that South Carolina finished last season in one of two ways, really. A, you can take that finish, a strong finish in the regular season, beating Tennessee, beating Clemson. You can take that as South Carolina finally figured it out. Shane Beamer's got them rolling, and they're going to carry that momentum over into 2023. That is one way to look at the way they finished the regular season last year. And obviously, that's clearly how South Carolina fans are approaching this season. And I don't really begrudge them that. Hope springs eternal, man. That's what college football fans do. We do it. South Carolina does it. Florida does it. Tennessee does it. Alabama does it. Michigan does it. Ohio State does it. Oregon does it. Everybody in the country, all fan bases, they want to believe. Even if they have no reason to believe, they want to believe. And you have a license to believe because at that point, No games have been played, right? As we sit right now on July the 2nd, no games, not one single game in the 2023 season has been played. I might be able to sit here and say, I think this team is going to be terrible. I think this team is going to be awesome. But we don't know for sure, right? And until you know for sure, until you see those losses rack up, until you see the product on the field, you can at least hope, man. So I don't begrudge South Carolina fans that. I really don't. But that is one way to look at it. But the other way, option B here, is to look at those two top 10 wins, Tennessee and Clemson, as a very anomalous finish to an otherwise extremely uninspiring 2022 season for South Carolina. Which, personally, that is how I am inclined to view that finish. Because let's not forget, guys, they did play a game after they beat Clemson, right? They did have a bowl game against Notre Dame. And I know bowl games are bowl games or glorified exhibitions, but hey, they're still games. You're still out there, right? You still play these games. And they got fairly smacked by Notre Dame in that game. And that's certainly something that conveniently gets left out of the South Carolina conversation in terms of how they finished the 2022 season, all the talks about how they finished the regular season, the bowl game that doesn't factor in the conversation, which maybe it shouldn't. Again, I don't know. I mean, it's a bowl game. Some guys play, some guys don't. Some guys don't play, so it's certainly not the same thing as a regular season game. I will give them that, but the game was still played. It still counts on on some level, but and, and no one even remotely mentions that. But let me give you guys some numbers to back up my opinion here in terms of why I don't buy into the way they finish the season being who South Carolina is and why I look at those two games, those two wins over Tennessee and Clemson as more anomalous than anything else. Those are aberrations. South Carolina was an eight-win team in the regular season last year. And 8-4, and that's a good, solid year for South Carolina. And, and they again, they won those games but I think it's misleading. And I think if you just take those two wins at the end of the season and say, man, that's who they're going to be next year, I think you're going to want that take back by the time we get to the end of the 2023 season. Here's why. So South Carolina is an eight-win team last year, but their yardage margin was minus 340. Obviously, those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that's, that's a stat I like to use. I think it's a good barometer of like how good was this team throughout the entire year? How lucky were they? How unlucky were they? For those of you who are new to the, newer to the show, when I say yardage margin, what I mean by that is pretty simple. What was the difference between the yards you surrendered to your opponents and the yards you gained on the year? And on the year, last season, South Carolina was outgained by their opponents collectively by 340 yards. Now, Let's put that in context. Let me just throw that number out there like randomly, like that. That doesn't mean anything to you, right? Well, let's put it in context. So, of all the eight win teams, I added this up, guys. So, what I did, one of the things I've done during the preseason, is go back through every single Power Five team last season, look at where they landed with their wins. Were they 12 wins? Were they 11 wins? 10 wins? And I calculated their yardage margin for every single team. And I broke it down. By category based on your win, your win number. So, South Carolina was in the eight win category, right? Among all the eight win teams, there were 11 power five teams last year that won eight games. South Carolina had by far the lowest yardage margin of all of those eight win teams. And here's the splits, guys. So, Ole Miss was an eight win team. They were plus 1410 in their yardage margin, meaning they outgained their opponents by 1,410 yards while South Carolina at the other extreme was minus 340. So what does that tell me? Well, it tells me a team like Ole Miss was really, really unlucky. A lot of things went went against them. Balls didn't bounce their way, while South Carolina on the other end, a lot of things went their way. A lot of balls bounced their way, probably some turnover luck in there. And in general, what it tells me is they were not as good as their record says they are. While a team like Ole Miss. What their yardage margin tells me is they were much better than what their final record would indicate. You know, there's that old cliche: "You are what your record says you are," and uh, I could not disagree with that more. I would agree with it if all schedules were created equally, but that's not how college ball works. There's no equity in college ball. There's never really been any equity in college ball. That's just really just one of its defining characteristics. But still, let's carry on with the with the yardage margin theme here. So the average eight win team last year, guys, they averaged a plus 725 yardage margin. South Carolina, again, minus 340. They were way beneath that. In fact, South Carolina at minus 340 yards with their yardage margin, they had the statistical profile of a five-win team. The average five-win team last year was minus 450 in their yardage margin. South Carolina slightly above that at minus 340. So they were somewhere between like a 6 and a 5 win team. The average 6 win team was plus 240 last year, so they don't fit in that category. They don't quite fit in the 5 win. They're a little bit above that, but they're like a a 5.5 win team if you look at their yards margin from like a statistical profile in fact look at some of these five-win teams guys so A&M last year five-win team they were minus 50 Arizona was a five-win team they were minus 75 Miami a five-win team minus 100 West Virginia minus 150 Auburn minus 200 hell go down to the four-win teams Iowa State as a four-win team last year was plus 1010 yards that's like 1,300 yards better than South Carolina was last year, but the record wouldn't tell you they were as good as South Carolina, because Iowa State was in the bottom 15 last year in turnover margin. And if you take out those two wins against Tennessee and Clemson last year, South Carolina was outgained by essentially 950 yards by the other eight power five teams they played last season. And I know that's not entirely fair to sit here and say, well, you know what, guys, let's take away their two best performances and let's look at them. But that's kind of what you have to do if you're trying to project forward to this season because clearly those two games against Tennessee and Clemson were the outliers they were the exception not the rule the rule was the other eight games that's power five teams so if I am trying to project forward to what they are next season are they this team that finished really strong at the very end of the season or are they this team that was very very average for the vast majority of the season I'm going to play the odds and there was far more evidence from last season that they were just a very mediocre average maybe slightly below average team than there was that they are some burgeoning elite program. So from a big picture perspective that's where I am on South Carolina right now as we enter the 2023 season at least as we're two months away from entering that season and when we get back from this first break I'll dive into the specifics of both their offense and their defense. But before we get there, I do want to remind you guys one more time today about our great friends at Alumni Hall. I just said it, guys. We are two months away from the college football season, so do not let it sneak up on you. I know everyone's having fun, vacation, 4th of July celebrations, a lot of fun stuff going on in the summer. I know that, and I know these things can sneak up on you, but don't let that happen. Go ahead and get your 2023 game day gear today get it right now guys you don't want to wait like a week or two before the season because all the best stuff's gonna be out of stock your size might or might not be there you don't know you want to make sure and get your stuff locked in today and there's no better place to do that at than alumni hall they have all the best brands all the best styles whatever you're looking for trust me guys i'm a fine connoisseur of georgia gear and alumni hall is by far hands down the place to go so why wait any longer? Go ahead, jump on it right now while you can, get yourself ready for the coming season, and do it at Alumni Hall, because that is where the Bulldogs shop. Okay, guys, we are back with some more South Carolina talk, and let's dive into this South Carolina offense. Now, when you're talking about the South Carolina offense, really any offense, you've got to start the quarterback position. I think South Carolina in particular is a team that you really, really have to focus in on the quarterback position, because South Carolina last year Went as Spencer Rattler went. That that's just the reality of the situation. Spencer Rattler was average to below average for the vast majority of last season, and huh, South Carolina as a team was average to slightly below average for most of last season. Spencer Rattler was fantastic. He was out of this world in those last two games of the regular season, especially the Tennessee game where he threw 6 touchdown passes. Well, how did the South Carolina team look in those last two games? They looked like world beaters. They looked out of this world. They looked fantastic. This team goes as Spencer Rattler goes, and that's not all that uncommon. A lot of teams go as their quarterback goes, but it was certainly the case for South Carolina last year. So the question we have to answer as it regards Spencer Rattler is very much the same question we have to answer about the South Carolina team at large. Will the real Spencer Rattler please stand up? Who is this guy? Well, on one hand, He's the dude that threw for an average of 399 yards and threw for eight touchdowns to only two interceptions against Tennessee and Clemson to close out the regular season last year. On one hand, he is that guy. He did do that. But he's also the guy that only averaged 193 yards with a five touchdown to seven interception split in the other seven regular season games against Power 5 opponents. So which one is it? Who are you, Spencer? Are you the guy that ended the season against Tennessee and Clemson? Or are you the guy that was very, very average, maybe even at times a liability for your team in every other game against a Power 5 opponent last season? Well, like with a team at large, I tend to play the odds here. Seven times during the regular season last year, Spencer Rattler against Power 5 teams showed me that he was average at best. Two times, he showed me he could be elite. And really, if you go back and watch the Clemson game, he wasn't really elite in that game. The final numbers, like he threw for 360, but... He was only 25 or 39, threw two interceptions. One of them was actually both of them were pretty bad. One was absolutely horrific. That's kind of what Spencer Rattler does sometimes. He just makes some really terrible decisions. So he was he was good in that game. He was not elite. Now, against Tennessee, the guy was just in fuego. 30 or 37, 438, 6 touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that at the quarterback position. So you gotta give it to him. In that game, like he was out of this world good. So that's the thing with Spencer Rattler. He has shown us. These very, very brief glimpses of his ability to play at an elite level at the quarterback position. Even go back to Oklahoma. He had a few moments where you're like, oh, okay, like I, I see it, but they were so fleeting, so few and far between. And that's exactly what he was last year at South Carolina. So, right now, to this point in his career, Spencer Rattler has given us really no reason to believe that he can be a consistently elite player. What he has given us reason to believe is is that he is a highly, highly volatile, inconsistent player that does have the ability every now and then, once in a blue moon, to randomly pull out an elite performance. But teams don't win 10 games with quarterbacks like that. You just don't. Now, can you pull an upset here or there? Can you upset a top 10 team at home? Yeah, of course you can. If that quarterback's best moments align when you play those best teams. But again, that's not who he was last year those were the exceptions. Those were the outliers. But a lot of people like to give Spencer Rattler the benefit of the doubt with how he ended last season. And here's why. The reality is he was a five-star recruit. That's what it comes down to. He's a five-star prospect. So when he came into college, people had their minds made up, since he had five stars by his name, coming out of high school, that he was going to be an elite quarterback. So when he has an elite performance or two, it's confirmation bias. People look at that as evidence of, oh yeah, he is the guy that we thought he was. And they completely ignore all the contrary evidence. Which, oh, by the way, vastly outweighs the evidence that he's an elite quarterback. Because he's not. Like, he has the ability to play at a really high level, but he's so inconsistent. You cannot count on that with Spencer Rattler. At least he has given us no reason to believe that yet. And I'm not in the business of believing things about guys until they give me a reason to believe it. Now, it is true that he did transition to a new offense last year. That's very true, and that's something that could certainly be a mitigating factor behind some of his struggles, but he was also that guy at Oklahoma. Even with Lincoln Riley, I know he was younger there. He was highly inconsistent there. That's why he got beat out. That's why Caleb Williams took that job over. That's why the Oklahoma fans were chanting for the backup quarterback during games. It's actually more frustrating when you show us that you can be that guy, but you just can't bottle it up, and be able to repeat it. That's maddening. That is maddening for a fan base. But of course, as you might imagine, the, the South Carolina fan base, I mean, again, I'm not going to begrudge in this. I get it. Hope Springs Eternal. They are convinced that at the end of last season, Spencer Rattler found whatever mojo he left back in high school, that he found that during that late season surge, and that he's going to be that version of himself for the entirety of this upcoming season. Like that. That's what they're convinced of and maybe they'll be proven, right? I I can't sit here and say that 100% they won't be. Again, all I can do is go off the evidence. What has this guy given me reason to believe? And the simple fact is Spencer Rattler has a far longer history of being a perfectly average quarterback than he does being an elite quarterback. That's just the reality. To this point in his career, that two-game stretch to end the 2022 regular season is the clear anomaly. Those are the outliers. Now, can he bottle it up and have a monster 2023 season? Yeah, I guess he, he could. It's possible. But I have got to put my faith in Rattler reverting back to exactly what he has been for the vast majority of his career, which is perfectly average, because that's what he's shown us more consistently than anything else. But no quarterback operates in isolation. We know this. And If South Carolina was loaded with skill talent around Rattler, I might be more inclined to consider taking the over here. But there just isn't a lot of proven talent for Rattler to work with offensively. There's just not. The obvious exception, of course, is at receiver, Antoine Juice Wells, who might, by the way, guys, very quietly be the best returning receiver in the SEC. He's certainly in that conversation. Wells transferred in from JMU last year, where he put up over 1,000 yards. And then he came in last year into the SEC at South Carolina and finished in the top five in receiving yards per game. Number four, actually. 71 and a half yards receiving per game last year. 928 yards total. 13.6 yards per catch. Six touchdowns. And he did that with, again, a highly inconsistent quarterback. So the Gamecocks do have an alpha out there at wide receiver. Like, they have a true, legit number one option in Juice Wells. But you've got to have more than that. You can't just have one dude, Right? And you look at who they have trying to compliment him, those complimentary pieces are uninspiring at best. I mean, you've got a guy named Xavier Leggett, who's a fifth-year senior. The prospect of that guy opposite of Wells, starting opposite of Wells, that has got to concern South Carolina fans. I know again, Hope Springs off-season, so they're trying to they're trying to rationalize things away, but from the outside looking in. You got to be concerned about that deep down if you're a South Carolina fan. Because this is a guy, Xavier really get we're talking about, who right now is projected to start opposite of Wells. And we'll see. There's still fall camp to go through. But right now he's projected to, to be the starter opposite Wells. And this is a guy who's a fifth-year senior who, to this point in his career, has posted a very paltry 423 total yards receiving through his first four college seasons. That's crazy, guys. 423, and that's the guy you're counting on opposite Wells? Maybe. Yeah, maybe, I guess. But again, I'm in the business of believing what you've shown me to this point. And Leggett has shown no signs of being that kind of guy. He just simply has not. Now, he he could break out, sure. But it's got to be a serious red flag for any fans out there just betting on this Gamecock offense to take a giant leap forward this year. I'm just not ready to buy that. But they do have another option at receiver that I think is a very intriguing prospect. So they brought in Wells last year from JMU as a transfer, and they hit a home run with that. So, of course, what they do, they dipped in the portal again, try their luck one more time to see if they can hit another home run at the receiver position out of the portal this year. And so this year they bring in a guy named Eddie Lewis, who has previously spent time. He started at Rutgers. Then he transferred to Memphis at Memphis last year. He hauled in 41 passes for 603 yards. So not, like, spectacular, but a solid contributor at the G5 level last year. He's 5'11, 190 pounds. He does project as a slot receiver. But if you watch the guy play, you pull up some tape, you go back and watch Memphis, which I did. I, I did do that, guys. I didn't watch all Memphis games, but I watched, I think I watched like a game and a half of, of Memphis last year. And Lewis is a prototypical slot receiver. He's got that great short area quickness. He can run a lot of option routes, whip routes, do the slot fades, all that kind of stuff. He's not going to go up and win a ton of contested balls. That's not really his game. At least not what I've seen from him. But he is a guy that can create separation with his ability to run routes, especially when you get mashed up on slot defenders, you get mashed up on safeties, potentially even linebackers, and he can be a, a weapon for you out of the slot. I think he could be the the complementary piece to Wells this year. But you just don't know like you're talking about a guy making the jump from g5 to power five now we saw that with wells last year going from jmu to south carolina worked out well for him maybe it works out well again with lewis i do think he has a better chance of being that complimentary piece than Leggett does Leggett has shown me nothing like that guy to me is just a body kind of just there he's just a guy i think lewis has potential to be more than that and tight end's also an interesting position for Carolina as well. So they lose their top two options at tight end. Austin Stogner transferred back to Oklahoma after transferring to South Carolina from Oklahoma after Lincoln Wright left. So he came to South Carolina for one year and decided he wanted to transfer, transfer back to OU. So he's back with the Sooners. And then Jaheim Bell, who was the guy that South Carolina fans were just raving about coming in last year. Like this time last year, you guys remember this, all the Carolina fans were... were Trying to push a narrative that Bell was better than, than Brock Bowers, and clearly, like we know how that worked out. And Bell, like he was okay last year. He was in and out of the lineup. But only had two hundred thirty one yards received. They actually used him more as a running back than they did as a tight end last year. He has transferred now to Florida State. So both their top two options at tight end have transferred out this year. So who do they have this year? Well, they bring in a really interesting player from Arkansas. So Trey Knox is a guy that started his career at Arkansas as a receiver. He was in the same class that Traylon Burks was in a couple years ago. He was a receiver with Burks, but he kind of bulked up a little bit and uh, actually got a little heavy, is what happened, and then moved to the tight end. And so he had to learn how to play that position. And last year, he was a good player at the tight end spot for Arkansas. Now, he was much more, given his background as a receiver, he's much more of a receiving threat than anything. For Arkansas last year, he was not great in the run game. He was not a great run blocker. He was a willing blocker, but that's just something that he still struggled with it. And that makes sense because this guy was his entire life. He was a receiver. He just transitioned to tight end the past couple of years. He only managed to put up 570 yards receiving the last three seasons as a tight end and I'm not including his freshman year. He played receiver there. He's, that was a different position. You can add that in if you want, but he's not going to play receiver for Carolina. He's going to play tight end. And as a tight end in Arkansas, he had 507 total yards receiving over three seasons. So it's not a lot, but like if you watch Arkansas play, like you can see the ability he has as a receiver. Again, given his background, he's athletic. He runs good routes. He's good after the catch relative to, to other tight ends. Like He's still a guy that can make some plays as a pass catcher from that position, I still think he's very much a liability in the run game because that's what he showed me last year. We'll see how much weight he's put on and he, he, if he improves in that regard. But he's more of like a new age flex tight end than anything else. But he's a guy that certainly gives Rattler another target to work with at the tight end position. As for the running game, I don't know, man. This doesn't look gr- great for Carolina. They're losing three of their top four rushers from a year ago. And they enter this season without an obvious answer running back there's not like an heir apparent guy they got a guy named Juju McDowell who's a junior he's projected to open the season as a starter but man when you watch this guy play to this point he has shown nothing to suggest that he's a big time SEC back he just hasn't shown that I mean he's fine he's okay he but he's he's a guy he's just a guy back there and when you were counting on just a guy to be your feature back It's not a great situation. Marshawn Lloyd was their guy last year. He was their feature back. He was the alpha running back for them. A lot of you could probably remember that name from a couple years ago. Uh, We recruited him very, very heavily. He ended up going to South Carolina. And he he dealt with some injuries his first couple years. He had a really nice season for South Carolina last year. Wasn't... A, a breakout year in terms of like his his total yards he had 573 yards rushing 176 yards receiving but again he only played nine games he was banged up yet again that's been the issue with Marshawn Lloyd throughout his career but he's not even on the roster anymore he's transferred out he's gone to USC he's not in the picture anymore so that's why they're left with Juju McDowell and then they have another guy to on Joyner who used to play quarterback for them and then played a little receiver he's now playing running back. So he's like one of those guys who's a really good athlete and they just haven't found a spot for him, like a permanent spot for him his entire career, but he's a good athlete, so you try to find a way to get the ball in his hands. And so they're now, considering their depth at running back, which is not great right now, they've now shifted him from receiver to running back, which again is yet another sign that doesn't look great for Carolina at running back this year. But you know, running back, as we've learned over the years with the NFL draft and just how the NFL approaches running backs in general now, a lot of those guys are, are fairly replaceable. There are your elite guys like B. John Robinson and Nick Chubb and Todd Gurley who are difference makers at the college level. Those aren't just guys. Those guys are not just like plug and play, instantly replaceable. But those are rare guys. That's not your rank and file running back. Most running backs are fairly replaceable. So if you are in a situation like that at your running back position, like South Carolina is coming to this year, well, that can be mitigated by a strong offensive line. Unfortunately for for the Gamecocks, that's a luxury they simply do not enjoy. They they do not have that luxury because coming into spring practice, I'm going to take you back a couple of months here. Coming into spring practice, the Gamecocks already knew that they were going to have to replace their top three linemen by snap count from a year ago, but the situation got considerably uglier for them when Jalen Nichols, who was a projected starter at left tackle for them, the most important offensive line position on the team, right? Well, the, Their guy, Jalen Nichols, who was projected to be the starter at left tackle, went down with what Shane Beamer described as a, quote, significant knee injury. He did not seem very optimistic that that would be something he'd be able to recover from by the time the season started, and really maybe not for the entire season. To this point, there has been no official announcement that he's going to be out for the entire year, but it certainly looks like he's going to be out for a significant period of time. So basically, Carolina is replacing four stars on the offensive line, and that's to go along with a fairly anonymous group of running backs and with a quarterback. Who panics in the pocket, who hears footsteps that aren't actually there, he sees ghosts. I don't know, man. That's not a recipe for success offensively. It's really not. And let's also not forget, I should maybe I should have led with this. On top of it all, South Carolina's gonna be working at a brand new office coordinator who has actually never really been good at that job. So the guy's name is Dowell Loggins. So he has had some NFL experience. Marcus Satterfield was their office coordinator last year. He moves on. Dowell Loggins is the guy that Beamer taps to come in and replace Satterfield. And what Beamer really tried to emphasize, you go back and you look at some of the quotes from the press conferences, like introducing Loggins, Beamer is highlighting his NFL experience. But what Beamer very conveniently failed to mention was the fact that, yes, while Loggins has spent a lot of time in the NFL, and he has parts of seven seasons as an NFL offensive coordinator, at least the title of an offensive coordinator in the NFL. His offenses in the NFL routinely finished near the bottom of the league in yards per game and actually only cracked the top 20 one time in all of his years, all those seven years as an NFL coordinator. So let's do the math here. You have a wildly inconsistent quarterback plus only one proven offensive skill weapon plus an offensive line that is going to get somebody murdered plus a hack offensive coordinator equals you better have one hell of a defense to meet the wildly optimistic standards of the South Carolina fans. And we will discuss if they have that type of defense once we get back from this last break. All right, let's get to the South Carolina defense. So with what I would classify as an unstable situation on offense, as I just detailed for you guys, Carolina is going to need its defense to do the heavy lifting. Problem is, They just simply do not have the dudes to do it. The Gamecocks lost their best players, guys, at each level of the defense. They actually only returned four starters, four starters from a defensive unit last year that finished 11th in the SEC in yards per play. For those of you who are newer to the show, I don't really like to use total defense, total offense, because that's not really tempo or opponent-adjusted. Yards per play is not opponent adjusted, but at least it adjusts for tempo. So I use that ahead of total defense. So if you're looking at total defense for, for South Carolina, it might be different than 11th. I don't even know. I don't even, really don't even pay attention to it. But yards per play last year, they finished 11th in the SEC. Only 14 teams, guys. They finished 11th. And on top of that, according to ESPN's resident college ball numbers guy, Bill Connolly, love me some Bill Connolly, The Gamecocks only returned 48% of their production from last year, which ranks them 113th nationally in returning defensive production. So for a program, let's be real, guys. Let's think about who South Carolina is. For a program that does not historically recruit at Georgia or Alabama levels, if you're asking me, as far as I'm concerned, it's simply far too much to ask for them to find a way to effectively replace all of that lost production in one season with players that are going to some way somehow raise the defense's overall level of play to compensate for again what I believe will be yet another inconsistent Carolina offense. They just don't have the guys. That's what it comes down to. They just don't have the depth. You know, it's one thing when we lose seven or eight starters, right? Because we have all these five-stars, high four-star prospects that we've recruited have been sitting, waiting their turn, waiting the wings, and now we just plug and play them in and we don't really skip a beat on defense. Now, were we as dominant last year as we were in 2021? No, we weren't as dominant, but we were still dominant relative to the rest of college football. That's not the case for South Carolina. They aren't there from a roster standpoint. They cannot just plug and play. That's not how it works for them. They do have some decent players in spots. There's one guy, uh, his name is Jordan Stratton, who was granted a seventh year, yes, seventh year of collegiate eligibility this season. He actually led the FBS in sacks back in 2020. He played at Georgia State. I think he had like nine and a half sacks during that COVID year, something like that. So he transferred in with a lot of fanfare into South Carolina coming to 2021. He hasn't really been that guy since he's gotten to Columbia. Now, in fairness, he's dealt with some injuries. Last year, he dealt with a lot of injuries, but he's back. He's, what, 38 years old? Maybe, possibly seven years. I don't know. I'm not good at math. He's, he's, he's old. But he's probably the best returning player on this defense. In fact, he's probably going to be their best overall player on defense this year, and he does have ability. If you watch guy play when he's healthy, he's a good edge rusher. He gives them some pass rush off the edge. He can be a disruptive force to them, and you need guys like that. So that's a good starting point, for him, though, the big question is can he stay healthy because he really has had issues with that. And I don't wish that on anyone. I I hope he can stay healthy. I don't want anyone to get hurt, but that's certainly been an issue for him over the past couple of years since he's gotten to Columbia. Another guy that I find very intriguing for this South Carolina defense is Alex Huntley. He's a defensive lineman. He is kind of like Rattler. He's like a defensive version of Spencer Rattler, like a defensive lineman version of Spencer Rattler, where he's shown flashes of... Of potential elite ability but he does not do that routinely it's it's very very hit or miss he's highly inconsistent he had a good year in 2021 all right at times he looked really really good last year I am he was in and out of the lineup man like he was not really great for them but he, I do think he has potential I think he has some explosiveness to his game um, when he plays a good pad level and he's not being lazy like he can be a good defensive lineman in the SEC but the problem with him is consistency, and their defense of backfield, man, it's going to be an adventure for them, let's just say that, so they lose their best player, their best overall player on defense last year was Cam Smith, he was the second round draft pick, I want to say, I think he ended up getting picked in the second round, for most of the season, people were talking about him as potentially a first round draft pick, didn't quite work out that way for him, but he was still a relatively high draft pick in the NFL draft, so he was a good player last year, but he is no longer around, Right now, it looks like Marcellus Dial and O'Donnell Fortune are the front runners at cornerback, and they're fine. Um, Dial saw some time last year. He's he's a good player. He's solid, but he's not Cam Smith. He's just simply not. Safety, David Spaulding, DQ Smith, probably going to be the two guys there. Again, they're okay. I think it's going to be an adventure for them. I think they're going to have problems in the secondary next year. I really believe that. Linebacker, solid-ish. Mo Cabas, he's been around for a while. I think he's a rest junior at this point, been around for a while. Solid enough player. He's not a fantastic athlete. He's really not an SEC caliber athlete, in my opinion. Debo Williams, another guy who is serviceable at inside linebacker, but he's not a difference maker. And that's the problem for this Carolina defense. You look at it and you say, okay, we're the difference makers. Now, one guy that could have potentially been a difference maker is no longer on the team. Jordan Burch, I know those of you who follow recruiting, you know that name, right? We were right there with him. It was Carolina, Georgia, ends up staying at home, goes to Carolina at the end of the day. He has transferred out, gone to Oregon, Dan Lanning. There was obviously a relationship built from back when we were recruiting him, and so now he's up in Eugene. That guy has difference maker potential. He was never really a difference maker while he was at Carolina, but he's got that potential, and he could certainly have grown into that maybe as early as this year. But the dude's not on the roster, so not going to happen. So, all in all, is this Carolina defense good enough to compensate for what I believe is going to be another highly inconsistent South Carolina offense? No, they're not going to be. Maybe in a couple of years. Shane Beamer has done a nice job of late recruiting. He certainly upgraded their recruiting efforts, but that's not going to help them this year. And all those poor South Carolina fans who've gotten their hopes up this offseason, who are frothing at the mouth to get a chance to get out there and take on Georgia— all those cocks who think they're going to do to Georgia what they did to Clemson and Tennessee to end last season, it ain't going to work out that way, guys. I hate to break it to you. And if you don't believe me, if you think I'm just a biased Georgia homer, that's fine. Don't take my word for it. But let me ask you this. If Carolina is such a dangerous threat this year, if they're as good as all these Carolina fans think they are, why is their win total only six and a half? Riddle me that. It's six and a half because the odds makers who set those lines are looking at this team objectively, like I am, and what they see is a team that, yes, had two fantastic games against Clemson and Tennessee, but that's not who they were the rest of the season. They are playing the odds. The odds makers playing the odds, huh? Go figure. Could South Carolina break out this year? Sure, they could, but again, the odds say that's the far less likely outcome and when you look at the roster from a qualitative standpoint where are those dudes where are the difference makers I don't see them at least not enough of them at the end of the day the odds makers who set their win total at six and a half they understand like I do that this is still a Gamecock program that was outgained by its opponents by over 300 yards last season. This is a Gamecocks program that had the statistical profile of like a five-win team last year. People who look at South Carolina and are unencumbered by emotional investment, they see this South Carolina team for exactly what they are entering this coming season. This is a team that yes, they are capable of pulling an upset if the conditions are right in those perfect storm scenarios, but it's a team that still lacks the high-end talent and the depth on its roster to find a way to consistently play at a high enough level to beat the best teams on your schedule on a consistent basis and not just have a random upset here or there. So when you look at South Carolina, last thing I'll say here, are they capable of pulling a massive upset maybe beating us in Athens next year? Well, if you look at last year, they beat Tennessee, they beat Clemson, two top 10 teams, right? But while those were two really good football teams, two top 10 teams, they also weren't Georgia. As we saw last November inside Sanford Stadium, there is a sizable gap between Georgia and Tennessee. There's a big difference between being number one and being like a, a bottom half top 10 team that there's still a big gulf there and Clemson was about the same as Tennessee they were a good team but a deeply flawed team they were good enough to be in the top 10 deserved to be in the top 10 but they were still deeply flawed they were never really a national championship contender which is one of the reasons I wanted them to sneak in the back door of the college football playoff last year and, and let us play them in the in the peach bowl because we would have absolutely wiped the floor of them. ultimately it didn't matter it would still beat Ohio State win the national championship, but it would have made for a a less stressful New Year's Eve. We can say that, right? But no, I do not think that South Carolina is ready to pull the kind of upset it would take for them to go into Athens and beat us. I know it happened in 2019, but guys, our program was in a very different place in 2019 than it is right now. Apples to oranges. We, of course, still have to come out and and play well. I guess if we played, like, an F game and they played an A game. Like, maybe if we played, like, a D-level game, they played, like, the best game in the history of their lives and Rattler had, like, one of those random lucid moments where he just throws for 450 yards and six touchdowns, like, 80-plus percent completion percentage. Maybe? But also, hell no. But all right, guys. Man. That felt good. That's all I got for you today. I love doing this. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed doing this episode today. This is what I love to do. I love talking ball. I love breaking down games, breaking down teams. This is this is awesome. This is fun. And we got eight more of these over the next two months, so plenty more coming your way over the next couple of months, guys. Not just the Scout the Enemy episodes. We'll definitely have these on a, on a weekly basis from here on out. But we also have a ton of other great content planned for you guys. We can get Curtis back on here later this week. We're going to take a look at some of the preseason magazines and what they're saying about Georgia and other teams in the SEC and have some fun with that. That's an episode that we also do on an annual basis. So we'll have some fun with that. But I do hope every one of you have a fantastic 4th of July. Go America. Go dogs. Have a great time. Be safe. Have a great time. But also, don't die. But I'm Tyler. And as always, Go dogs.